The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Cocky Ride Home for Monday, June 21st, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. What will our homes look like in the future? And how much has the pandemic shaped that vision? Plus, why are humans so thirsty? And Brian Eno has found a home for hundreds of his previously unreleased songs. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. The pandemic vastly accelerated and or transformed many trends of home ownership here in the U.S. For some, it meant finally biting the bullet to move out of the city and buy a house. For others, it meant the dream of ever owning a house slipped even further out of grasp. Economist Carl W. Smith argued in Bloomberg last week that America could well become a nation of renters in the future. So in discussions about the house of the future, it needs to be acknowledged that, at least for many people here in America, that house is probably not a house at all, or at least not a house that is owned by the one living in it. That point notwithstanding, I am still fascinated by people trying to guess what a house of the future might look like. One of my favorite videos on YouTube is a Walter Cronkite special from the 1960s that shows various guesses and prototypes for what the American home may look like in the 21st century. And some things, like kitchens being more laboratories growing their own synthetic food, were pretty far off. There was also a glass entryway where all the lint and dust on a visitor is removed electrostatically. Which, I mean, dang, I think that sort of thing would have been pretty popular during the pandemic, actually. But there were a lot of concepts in that special that were actually pretty on point in concept, if executed a bit differently through the lens of 1960s tech. Like a home office with a machine that allows for video conferencing and delivers the the news of the world directly to the home, and a computer that teaches children school at home, as well as a fully connected house that can perform tasks like playing music, various TV programs, and turning the lights on and off all from one device. If you want to see the whole video, I'll put a link in the show notes, but with how accurate some of that really was, I think it's interesting to look at current guesses for the future we don't yet know. And in that vein, Veranda recently spoke to over 170 architects and designers about shifting trends in American homes and what it may say about features that become normalized in the future. And the first one that stood out to me was one that I actually talked about on this show last year, the growing desire for tripped-out mudrooms, specifically ones with a sink or even a shower so that people can get cleaned up before entering the main part of the home. The shower, I think, is more for folks who work in medical settings, but, I mean, an entryway with a sink so I could take off my shoes and wash my hands before getting into the rest of mine or a host's house, I'm into it. And one other aspect of the multi-talented mudroom that was brought up was making space for storing deliveries. 
In a world increasingly dependent on shipping purchases, gifts, and work-related items, having a dedicated space to store and manage them is a cool idea. And in a way, the feature on this list I found to be the most substantial yet mundane change. One that is such a hallmark of our lives now, but which probably wouldn't have been predicted a few decades ago. One of the biggest themes that Veranda points to is the overall desire to do more at home, work from home, socialize at home. You know, people learned how to love their home spaces over the last year and a half and want to continue leaning into that. People are putting more emphasis on their front lawns so they can socialize with neighbors outdoors, enjoy block parties and things like that. There's also been a surge in screened-in porches, and especially ones with outdoor heaters, waterproof TVs, and screens that can roll down at the press of a button. Just another way we took so much of our recreational and social lives outdoors this past year, and with certain amenities, learned to love it. A further mark of the pandemic, living rooms now need to be multifunctional as work-from-home spaces during the day and inviting gathering spaces for socializing at night. Dining rooms, which apparently were falling out of favor, are back in, and even a separate space, whether it be a closed-off room or a part of your garden, for adults to go have a drink at the end of the night. Making your at-home evening feel a bit more like a pub crawl or something, I guess? I don't know. But some of the features that particularly encourage these behaviors... Dining room chairs that are upholstered with a curved back, good for both long hours working from home and for keeping your guests comfy for a long, leisurely dinner instead of a rushed Zoom call takeout meal. See also versatile furniture like secretary desks that can be neatly tidied up at the end of the workday when guests come over, and lighting that comes in multiple forms with different types of lamps and sconces as opposed to a singular harsh overhead light. That will all set the mood to keep guests relaxed and wanting to stay. There's also wall coverings to dampen the sound and increase acoustics. Those are also back in. But another change sort of in the opposite direction is the desire for more private spaces and less open concept floor plans. With more people at home all day, you want to be able to close some doors. So there's been a lot of new designs for doors that can be closed during the work or school day, but then opened nicely when you're entertaining in the evening. People are also becoming much more conscious about wellness in the design of their homes. Some priorities that Veranda points out are how close the internet hookup is to a bedroom dedicated solely for sleeping, whether different countertop materials in the kitchen could leach anything dangerous into food over time, and of course, in general, how to minimize airborne pathogens. There's even a type of expert I'd never heard of before that some homeowners are turning to, biological home advisors. Wild. And despite the emphasis on sanitation, the spotless white minimalism that's been so popular for a while is finally on its way out as people lean into cozier, more natural, or sometimes even rustic designs, even in the kitchen. Apparently some new builds are even putting fireplaces in the kitchen, which is really a throwback. Some want the kitchen to be a space where everyone feels comfortable pitching in or hanging out as meals are prepared. But then on the other end of the spectrum, some do still want the mystique of cooking to be hidden. There's been an uptick in butler's pantries and hidden working kitchens, the kinds of thing people who hire caterers often have. But when it comes to the bedroom, it's all about comfort and decadence. Again, canopied beds, sitting areas, and more fireplaces. 
Full bathrooms are becoming more spa-like as people lean into things like unique colored lighting for showers and countertop refrigerators or mini microwaves to house specialized skincare items. Closets and other areas also get the luxury treatment with LED strips installed under shelves and in drawers, making a walk-in closet feel more like a store. And a lot of those last few amenities may seem totally decadent or superfluous, but my take is that a lot of those things are becoming more common at lots of income levels. You know, even if you have a tiny bathroom and barely a closet to speak of, you might have gotten really into skincare from watching YouTube videos and picked up a fridge for your moisturizers at Target, or decided to line your bedroom shelves with LED strips from Amazon because it looks cool in the background of video calls. Some of the trends on this list are totally bougie, things that will never be an option for a lot of people, but they'll spawn follow-on trends that the rest of us may eventually pick up or find have been implemented in a home that we eventually rent, which I guess is why this fascinates me. You know, as we go through big changes in a society, the ripple effects can even alter how we design the spaces we live in. And while not all of us will see those changes right away, we might eventually, and we can then pinpoint when that began. You know, years from now, we may wonder why we started putting sinks and shelves for mail in the entryway of houses. Oh, right, we'll think, from that spring when we were scared of any possible germ entering our home. Humans are really thirsty. And I'm not talking about the post-pandemic Tinder boom. Like, literally thirsty. We are more dependent on water than any other mammals. But why is that? Quoting Scientific American, Between around 3 million to 2 million years ago, the climate in Africa where hominins, members of the human family, first evolved, became drier. During this interval, the early hominin genus Australopithecus gave way to our own genus Homo. In the course of this transition, body proportions changed. Whereas Australopithecines were short and stocky, Homo had a taller, slimmer build with more surface area. These changes reduced our ancestors' exposure to solar radiation while allowing for greater greater exposure to wind, which increased their ability to dissipate heat, making them more water efficient. Other key adaptations accompanied this shift in body plan. As climate change replaced forests with grasslands and early hominins became more proficient at traveling on two legs in open environments, they lost their body hair and developed more sweat glands. These adaptations increased our ancestors' ability to unload excess heat and thus maintain a safe body temperature while moving, as work by Nina Jablonski of Pennsylvania State University and Peter Wheeler of Liverpool John Moores University in England has shown. Sweat glands are a crucial part of our story. Mammals have three types of sweat glands— apocrine, sebaceous, and eccrine. The eccrine glands mobilize the water and electrolytes inside cells to produce sweat. Humans have more eccrine sweat glands than any other primate, end quote. And since sweat works as a cooling mechanism and we have it in spades compared to other primates, it's helped us be more active than them. In the past, that meant running after other animals until they overheated as a form of hunting, for example. But all that sweating also leads to greater risk of dehydration. The cutoff point for humans, the point at which dehydration results in physiological and cognitive problems or even death, is when we lose 10% of our body mass from dehydration, something that can happen after about five hours of running around in a hot savanna, as our ancestors would have done while persistence hunting. 
Animals better adapted to the desert, like sheep, camels, and goats, however, can lose as much as 20 to 40% of their body mass from dehydration before facing the same issues, according to Scientific American. They also have an extra internal body part called the forestomach that stores water. And then there's also desert pocket mice, whose kidneys can concentrate urine to such an extent that it can go months without water. Our kidneys do a similar thing, but not to the same extent, so we can only go a few days without water. And we can't store it like camels do. If we drink too much at once, we have to pee it out, and we risk throwing off our electrolyte and sodium balance with dire consequences, up to and including death. So more than any other animal, we go to extremes in altering our environments to make sure we have regular access to water. And when we don't have access to clean water, food can step in. Some foods, especially fruits, can be excellent sources of water, and many populations rely on getting their water from food in much heavier amounts than others. In the U.S., we get about 20% of our water from food, but in Japan, about half of their water intake comes from food. Or we can look to other primate relatives like chimpanzees who get some of their water from wet rocks and leaves. Some of them also practice other water-conserving activities like foraging at night instead of in the sun. Avoiding the sun and eating more fruit is something I think we could all do if we want to be more hydrated, but I don't think I would recommend sucking on leaves and rocks. Or at least don't claim I told you to do it. The bottom line is, we humans are sweaty, thirsty animals, and pretty much always have been. But we're also really good at finding solutions to our need for water. So, stay hydrated and maybe donate to some organizations who are helping communities who need it get access to clean water. Because we are all thirsty, no matter where we live. Brian Eno has launched his own radio station that is going to play exclusively unreleased tracks that he's had sitting in his archives. The station is part of Sonos Radio HD, the music division of the Speaker Company, which, yes, you have to pay for, but there is a monthly trial. And Eno's station will be called The Lighthouse. Eno picked The Lighthouse because, quoting Open Culture, I like the idea of a sort of beacon calling you, telling you something, warning you perhaps, announcing something. He also credits a friend who told him his unreleased music is like ships lost at sea. The lighthouse is calling in some of those lost ships, end quote. Let's talk about those lost ships or unreleased tracks, though. Eno, long known as a solo musician, synth player for Roxy Music, and producer for such acts as Devo, David Bowie, U2, and Coldplay, told an audience at a lecture in 2013 that he had 200,809 unreleased pieces of music. He's offered hundreds of those to his new dedicated station on Sonos Radio, and they say it's so many that it's unlikely a listener would ever hear a repeat. Quoting again from Open Culture, If you're expecting nothing but ambient washes and generative music, you might be surprised at the variety. In the first Eno-hosted show, he plays a funky jam, Lighthouse No. 2, co-composed by Peter Chilvers and stuffed with R&B samples. And an almost completed song featuring the Eurythmics' Dave Stewart on guitar called All the Bloody Fighters, a.k.a. Lighthouse No. 106, end quote. Sonos Radio has other artist-curated stations from the likes of Bjork, FKA Twigs, and Tom York, though Pitchfork notes that Eno's station will be randomly sequenced, not curated. The songs don't even have unique track titles, just those utilitarian numbered titles. 
Eno said in a statement, quote, The music that will be broadcast from the lighthouse covers a pretty broad period. The earliest track we have at the moment is from 1990. We'll be adding more pieces as time goes on. New pieces will be entering the mix, and some of that will go back even further. You'll be listening to a sequence of tracks which will be randomly generated, chosen by chance, so there is the possibility of odd, I hope exciting, collisions. Things that are very slow, next to things that are very fast, next to things that have no tempo, no pulse at all. End quote. So something to check out if you're even a moderate Eno fan. Hundreds upon thousands of unreleased tracks is not something we usually get from any artist, at least not while they're alive. Well, that is it for this Start of the Week episode. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.